0: The volume.
1: With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap
2: music to your ears.
0: Hi, let's talk about Pro Plan Sport. Pro Plan Sport is advanced nutrition made to fuel strength and stamina in active dogs like yours. So wherever your next journey together takes you, start it off right with the high-performance fuel your dog needs to keep pushing you every step of the way. Pro Plan Sport. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection. Convenient installation options and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Michelin Cross Climate 2. But did you know they sell other automotive products—wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few? Go to TireRack.com/slash Colin TireRack.com—the way tire buying should be. Hi, it's Prime Cuts, the best of the Colin Cowherd podcast. Great week. NFL Hall of Famer Michael Strahan looks back at the Super Bowl against Brady and the game in Week 17 where they also gave the Patriots fits. Chris Mannix, the newest member of the Volume Sports Network, tells us why Floyd Mayweather's fight with Logan Paul has shut down Floyd's plans for the future. Plus, Chad Millman on the college football playoff. Here we go. Fox Sports NFL analyst, co-host Good Morning America, the Hall of Famer, still holds the record for most sacks in a season, 22 and a half, defensive end 15 years, played all those years with the Giants, early 90s to 2007, and a Super Bowl champ, number 42, Michael Strahan. Well, I mean, you grew up military in Germany, so it's it's really interesting. There's not many – I mean, now everything is very global. You were kind of a global citizen. That's very NBA – that that's very soccer you were like a global citizen yeah. as an nfl guy and it's funny because i was just talking to a friend the other day about this um i want to go to switzerland i want to take my kids to switzerland yeah. they want to go and he goes well it's got a germany feel it's kind of boring they work hard and that's it <laughs> and i said what do you mean <laughs> and he goes you got to remember in europe he goes the uh, the greeks are having a blast the italians are drinking wine the spaniards are partying germans work save money make money
1: so exactly well they drink beer at beer at that at at, you know at their lunch break so they have some fun
0: what do you remember though because you're you're younger i mean is do you have this like memory of germany that stays with you i mean i have four or five little childhood memories not a lot you know trips to mount rainier in seattle or you know trips vacate what if i said to you germany strongest memory
1: um, every Friday night, going with my parents to the Houston house and having a cordon bleu or a schnitzel with fries and having the lady at the Houston house when I was a kid squeeze my cheeks every single Friday. <laughs> 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 so cute. You know, cute. Yeah, how do you say cute in German? That's what she used to do, I'd grab my cheeks every freaking Friday. So I just remember, you know, being with my family and, and of course, you remember the Autobahn. I'm a car fanatic. So um, watching cars fly up and down the Autobahn and do all that stuff. Yeah, I, re- I remember those things. But I, one thing I do appreciate about growing up over there is it, it, just the um, being around different people and different cultures and being able to travel. My dad and I used to go to Spain every year and go fishing together and just we to Australia, uh, not Australia, but like um, we used to go skiing in um, Switzerland. Um, we used to do all that for school trips. I mean, how awesome is that? So those are the things that I remember is just, like you said, being a world citizen and understanding that the world's a lot bigger than the place that most guys just grow up and they never leave or they go back to in the off season. And for me, I used to go to Germany and and now I love to take my kids on trips uh, to Europe and, and, and I've taken them to South Africa, you name it just so that they can see that the world's a lot bigger than just the environment that they grow up in every day.
0: I sent my daughter uh, to Cape town for the summer uh, for a leadership uh, council. She loved it. Two months there. I,
1: yeah. I can live there. I mean, I've, I've taken my trips, all, my kids all around the world. That by far is the one trip. They say, we want to go back. They want to go back to South Africa. They want to go back to Cape town. They want to go back on safari. And you, you kind of, you get on some of these trips and you kind of think, well, maybe this is an, is an adult trip and I have my kids here. And even though they're like my youngest at the time, my twins were maybe 12 and I had gone to South Africa before, but I wanted them to go back when it could, it could really be a memory for them. And I took my older kids with me as well. And you're on safari. And you're waking up early in the morning for a morning ride. You're waking up in the afternoon You're going on a night ride. You're going to a midday ride. The last day comes around and you're, they're like, OK, you guys, you can either go on a ride before you take off, or you leave, or you can just relax. And everybody's like, we want to go out again. They, it's, so, it's so interesting. And I found it's the best trip because of the trip that they learn so much in just nature and seeing these animals in their natural habitat. Like you're walking down the street and not saying like you're walking down the street, there's a lion there, but there's the potential and you realize, God, I paid all this money for a vacation I could potentially die on. I don't know how smart <laughs> that is. But I, I love South Africa. It's my favorite trip, my family's favorite trip we've ever taken.
0: Okay, I'm going to throw a sports one at you. I want, here's a hypothetical. This is, this is a hypo. I, can do, I, I like theories and hypotheticals. Let's
1: do it. Okay, give it to me.
0: What if I told you, Michael Strand, there's this guy. He's considered the greatest quarterback of all time, has all the records, rings, MVPs. Hmm. Nobody could beat him except for this okay. other guy who beat him twice in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Wouldn't that make the other guy the greatest quarterback of all time?
1: Uh not necessarily. Not necessarily. It means that the other guy, team, because football is not one person. The other guy's team showed up and probably played better as a team. All right, and. F- Finish strong and that that guy showed up and had his biggest moment or moments at the biggest time. And the other guy had a lot of big moments and a lot of times to do it, which I am quite jealous of.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> By the
0: way, here's what's funny. So the first time you beat them, I'm in New York. I'm at an Irish bar. It's oh this. It's week 17. You lose to New England, mm-hmm. and I remember watching that game and thinking, "Shit, they're not that far off." No. And then, and then you go to the Super Bowl, Michael. The very first play, New England tried some reverse or something clever. Boom, stuffed it. And I remember thinking, "Okay, this." This reminds me a little of week 17 where you were Mm -hmm. winning one on one battles. Go back to week 17, the first time you played New England. Okay, they wrap it up, they go undefeated. You're leaving the field. Was there something in your mind saying, we're not? That that game was closer than people think.
1: Man. you know, I said this earlier today. Had we not beaten, had we not played them in week 17, I don't think we won the Super Bowl. I think when we played them week 17, we had already locked up the uh, the spot in the playoffs. We were going to play Tampa the next week. Yeah. I remember in the meetings and the coaches really aren't putting in a game plan because they're like, well, we don't want to put in much because we put it in. We got to see the uh, Bucks next week. We don't want to give anything away. So we're going to go out here and have a very vanilla um, offensive defense this week. And we were wondering if we were going to play or not, if, if Coughlin was going to arrest us. And i would never forget, and I remember saying it in my pregame speech because it pretty much came from Coughlin, that, hey, they're not resting their guys. Why are we resting our guys? And if we got to be out here to play, let's play. And and the bottom line was the right decision because you see teams rest their star players when there's nothing to play for. But that game gave us so much confidence, especially as the team that no one expected anything from. And we're walking off the field. And, and like yesterday, I remember this. O.C. U. puts put his arm around me and said, Stray, if we or when we when we see them again, we will beat them. And first thought in my mind was, first of all, I wasn't thinking that because I'm thinking, well, we got a long way to go. Only way we see them is in a Super Bowl. And I know we've been a little hot, but I don't know if we're that hot yet. I never thought that, but O.C. and the younger guys had that in their mind. I was more focused on the next week. And um, but lo and behold, we, we beat Green Bay and we're going to the Super Bowl and everyone thought we had no shot. Uh, you, you felt it. Yeah. Uh, but for some reason, we were the most relaxed we'd ever been. We were chill at practice with fun, Coughlin to order the in and out Burger truck and he's out there slopping down two and out Burger's. That was a sight to see. It just showed how relaxed we were. And my message to the guys was relax. It's just football. The same thing that got us here is going to be the thing that's going to help us win. Just your practice is practice. Football is football. But then they were too relaxed, in my opinion. But after saying relax, I couldn't tell them not to relax. like unrelaxed. So I had to roll with it. And, And it was just a sense of confidence that we had. And I knew it when we had it that morning. We walked down to breakfast before the game and, Same guy, O.C. I don't know why I was the guy I decided to talk to all the time, but he looked at me and he goes, Stray, we got to get to Tom Brady to win this game. If we don't get to Tom Brady, we're not going to win this game. And I'm thinking, what you been, you been watching TV? Because that's what everybody's saying. Like, whoo, that's that's some good analysis. O.C., you got a future in TV, (laughs) which he's gone on to have an incredible future in TV over in Europe. Um, So, but when he said it, it was a look in his eye that I hadn't seen all week. Like it was a focus. It was a, it's game day. We're ready. And we got on that field. And from that first play, you realize everybody's locked in. It's the one game. We have 11 guys on that field and all 11 are locked in. There's a lot like, not like nine or two guys that are not focused. All 11 on both sides of the ball were locked in. And the results ended up being what they were. And that's us giving what I call the greatest upset in football history.
0: I remember it well. I lived in Connecticut. And it, I, all I remember, I remember the final week 17, you guys winning some personal batter, battles on the D-line. And then I remember yeah. in the first series thinking, oh, shit. Giants are winning all those battles up front. This is going to be low score. All I remember is thinking, it's going to be low scoring.
1: You, if you're losing those battles
0: in the first series, you're not going to win them later. Which is crazy,
1: though. Because they were scoring, like, what, 35 points a game? And, and believe me, we're hitting Tom so fast. Like, guys are in the backfield before you felt like you came off the line of scrimmage. You're like, shit, how'd Tuck get back there? how does he get back there? How could Vika Mitchell get back there? How'd Fred Robbins get back there? How'd Barry Cofield get back The like, guys are hitting him. So frequently and so fast, in his face and just in his passing lane, hands up, had him scrambling. And it felt as if, like, are they tricking us? Are they making it easy just to turn (laughs) it up? Like, what's going on? But once I saw Tom get upset, slam the ball down a few times, yell at a few guys, I said, We're that good right now. We're rolling. And we just got to keep it going. Can we maintain it for four quarters? That was the question. But I think we had enough guys who were hungry enough and enough of a rotation on defense and everywhere else on our team that we were able to maintain it enough.
0: You're a big personality. You crushed in New York. Jeter talks, never says anything. Same with Eli. Eli never says yeah. anything, but he, he, he can talk forever. It, it's funny. <laughs> The, the, the new, I mean, as a Southern kid, the New York media really embraced Eli. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, he doesn't fit. If I'd have told you, Southern kid, uh, brother to Peyton, everybody loved Eli. They just love yeah. Eli. And yet, did the media embrace you in New York that quickly, or did no. it take a while?
1: It took a while, man. I don't know if they ever really embraced me. Oh, I was hard on. on them. They were hard on me, I was hard on them, pal. I didn't give them up. You you know what it was? I was the second pick uh, in the draft, second round. They didn't have a first-round pick, and they picked Dave Brown in the supplemental draft. So I was technically the first pick, 40th overall. I came out in the year with Eric Curry, John Copeland, Coleman Rudolph, Carl Simpson, Dan Williams. um, um, Who else was that? Todd Kelly. All these guys picked in front of me in the draft. I think – When I came to New York, no one really knew. I came out of Texas Southern University, 19 sacks my senior year, 40-something sacks in college. Like I was great, but they said, Oh, this is that the TSU, HBCU, the competition, all these excuses. So I don't think they really expected much of me. I was gonna be a guy who came through, a draft pick they took a chance on that I think that a lot of people felt may last a few little while, may give them a little something here and there, but never had the career that I had. But at the same time, that was a motivating factor to me, and the media at times, I wasn't probably the easiest guy to deal with. I was joyful and I was funny and I great gave say great sound bites. But if you came at me wrong, I came back at. Uh, if you people don't know not to call me while I'm on this thing, but if I if you came at me wrong, I didn't take it. I came back at you in the media, but. By the end of my career, the last three years of my career, I got divorced. As you said, you know, you're married, divorced, married, or whatever. I got divorced, man. It was the hardest thing I'd ever gone through in my life. Especially, you're on the front cover of the paper for being a great, they're like a worst husband, and they're getting divorced, and you're on the back cover of the paper for being this incredible football player. But it taught me not to really care anymore. So when it came to the media, I was more upset when they talked about my teammates than I ever was about me because I realized. You couldn't do what I was doing. I could do and talk about people like you're talking about. You can't put on a uniform and go out there and perform on the field. So your opinion really didn't matter to me anymore. And I embraced that. I also embraced the fact that you kind of need me to do your job. I don't need to talk to you. So <laughs> I would come I would come in and tell the media, I only talk two days a week. I told our PR guy, I only got to talk two days a week. So I would come to the locker room every day. talked to the media, knew everybody's name, would joke with them and say, hey, you know, your wife's still married to you. Let her know it's still not too late. My God, she hadn't realized it yet. Like, I used to mess with guys. We have fun. But if you asked me one football question on a day that I said that I would not talk about football, I would shut it down and say, Come on, man, you know I don't talk about football. And I walk away. Like, I controlled the narrative by the end of my career and controlled the conversation with the media. And I think that by doing that, I made myself more interesting to them because they saw me probably as volatile. I saw it as I'm learning to play your game where you are using me Well, I'm going to learn to use you. And, um, and it worked to my benefit. Plus I used to tell the young guys all the time, being here in New York, there's a lot of things to do, a lot of clubs to go to, a lot of parties, a lot of people. If you're supposed to be a huge star or if you're supposed to be special and you show up at a club every night, you're just another patron, right? Pretty soon your star factor diminishes. You're just another patron who comes to the club and it's not so such a big deal who you are. Scarcity. So scarcity of my conversations with the media, scarcity of my answers about what was coming up in, in the game or my thoughts on the game created a buzz around talking to me. So I realized when I did show up at a club or when I did give a comment in the paper, it was going to be a bigger deal. So I understood how to play the game. I kind of figured it out just by being here and just had to learn those things.
0: Boy, that's smart. Jack Nicholson, the great Jack Nicholson would not Mm -hmm. go on late night shows to talk about his movie. He says, I, I want to be a little bit of an enigma, a little bit of a mystery to your point. Then the
1: appearances
0: are special.
1: Mm -hmm. And how'd that work out for him? He did. All right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Colin Coward podcast, proud to be presented by FanDuel. Never played FanDuel Fantasy before? Great. FanDuel's offering users the chance to play free, no deposit required. Plus, for those folks who want to deposit, FanDuel's offering up to a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with our 20% deposit match. It's sweet. Why do you plan FanDuel? Well, the FanDuel Fantasy is an easy, easy-to-use app. You pick a new team every game. You compete for top cash payouts. Compete against your buddies in head-to-head matchups. For new users, FanDuel's offering up to a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with their 20% deposit match. Just go to FanDuel.com cowherd. That's it. FanDuel.com cowherd for more info. FanDuel.com cowherd. They know we sent you there. FanDuel, just more ways to win. So you're a sports fan, right? That's why you're listening. But if you're considering getting in on the fun of sports gambling, I want to let you know about a great resource, the Action Network. The Action Network is where fans go when they're ready to bet smarter and turn a profit betting on sports. In fact, their free Action Network app, free, recently named the best app in sports betting. With the Action app, you can, one, see the latest picks and articles from the Action Network gambling experts, two, compare odds from different sportsbooks, and three, track every bet you make so you always know how your picks are doing. So, if the game means more to you, download the free Action Network app and start betting smarter. Attention
3: all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season.
6: Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Chris Mannix, we brought him over at the volume. So I knew, I've known Chris for a long time. I first uh, identified you um, or discovered you, for me anyway. You, you'd been doing great work for years on the Celtics, and then I brought you on shows I've had. And uh, then I found out, discovered you had a great thirst and knowledge and insight for boxing, you know, gaming. So we feel so incredibly grateful that you were available. So we have brought him over to do a uh, boxing podcast. In fact, he just interviewed his first interview was Floyd Mayweather. Listen, Floyd at 44 is still lightning quick. It, it's, a, it's, you know, it's, it's that Brady-LeBron thing where you're like, okay, this doesn't make any sense. When George Blanda played in his 40s, he looked old. He moved like an old man. Floyd is still so quick. But, you know, uh, so you have Logan Paul and his brother. And his brother's going to fight Tyrone uh, Woodley, uh, the UFC guy. And when I was watching Logan tonight, my takeaway was Woodley better be ready. He better train for this. He's a UFC guy. I think these guys move consumers to pay-per-view. Chris, I really do. I think they're here to stay. I mean, mean, am I I nuts?
8: No, I think they have some staying power. Um, I think at some point uh, the novelty will wear off largely because – they won't have the opponents that are going to move the needle. Like Tyron Woodley for Jake Paul moves the needle. Now, Tyron Woodley is going to get smashed because Jake Paul can actually box a little bit. Like he's yeah. he's got some, some skill to him, more than Logan has, I think. But if these retired MMA guys want to keep getting in the ring with Jake Paul to try to make a couple of bucks, there will still be a market for it for the foreseeable future. And I'll tell you what – Logan and Floyd saved in a way that what was a complete bleep show out there. I mean, it's pouring rain in Miami. So you've got fights on the undercard being stopped because they got to wipe off the ring apron. The only fight that actually mattered was this middleweight contest between Jared heard and Luis Arias and both these guys are slipping and sliding across the ring while it's going on. Um, you know the, the fact that this. Meanwhile, you said you paid fifty bucks for it. I paid a hundred because the Showtime app stopped working midway through, and I had to go over to Fanmio. And I tell you what, you go on Twitter and put in Showtime an app, and you're going to see some some angry people out there because that thing failed early on in the pay per view. So having Floyd and Logan not be the debacle that. You know, Ali and the Japanese wrestler was way back in the day right. uh, turned out to be the best thing that could have happened to this show.
0: Yeah. So for those who didn't watch, uh, Logan Paul acquitted himself. He's just a bigger guy. Um, um, you know, he looked fatigued by the fourth round, but I don't think Mayweather, neither guy hurt each other, although Floyd clearly landed more power punches. That was, I don't have the data in front of me, mm-hmm. but Floyd landed far more power punches. But he was so outsized, I thought Floyd just didn't want to get whacked. After about the 5th, I think Floyd knew he won the fight. 6th, 7th, and 8th, he kind of just hid from him. But what you're telling me, see, you think Woodley's going to get smoked.
8: Yeah, I do. I, I, I don't. I, I, there just isn't a crossover, right? Like, And if if Jake Paul went into MMA, he'd get destroyed by Tyrone Woodley. It's just, their combat sports, I just they're just not similar. I, I've seen it too many times go both ways. Do you think Jake is
0: significantly better than Logan? Because Logan tonight surprised me. I, I take him to a different... Tonight, I looked at Logan and I thought, I don't know, this looks kind of legitimate.
8: Um, It's hard to tell with Jake because Jake fought a truly goofy YouTuber in his first fight Um, a couple of years ago. He then beat the Daylights out of Nate Robinson... And then his last fight he stomps up Ben what I can say about Jake is that it seems like he has that that quick twitch more than Logan does. Like he can throw yes, a yes. right hand. Yeah. He's got yes. that. Whereas Logan's just kinda lumbering and, you know, will will try to land one lucky punch. Jake's punches aren't really lucky. they you know, I, I know his, his trainer, BJ Flores, pretty well. And you know, I used to work with him on broadcasts at NBC and BJ's told me all the time, like there's actual talent there. Not, you know, championship level talent, but actual talent. Inside Jake Paul. So I think he's he's a little better. And because of that, Colin, I don't think we'll see Floyd back again doing something like this. I mean, it's, it was kind of set up for Floyd to face Jake Paul in the next fight. Jake signed that deal with Showtime, multi-fight deal. He'll fight Woodley in the first one. And the assumption, at least on Showtime's side, was that Mayweather would want to fight Jake, assuming this fight went the way he hoped it would go. It didn't. Like, Mayweather didn't get the fifth, sixth, seventh-round knockout that I'm sure he was expecting. And I don't know if he's going to want to get in with Jake, who's as big. Jake's about 190 pounds, too. Like, he's not a small guy. I don't know if he's going to want to get in with Jake Paul and, and, and go through the same kind of thing, unless the money's so huge. Unless his pay-per-view comes back, and it's massive. And Jake Paul does a massive pay-per-view against Tyron Woodley. Maybe then, but I think tonight probably dissuaded Floyd from doing something like this against someone like them ever again.
6: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Let's bring on Chad Millman, Chief Content Officer of the Action Network. College football reporters, you know, there's a reason, Millman, that people get tired of the media. Because they're cynical. And all I read for the last two days is college football writers vetching about the playoff. And I'm like, it's not perfect. But it's going to be great. It's what everybody wants. It's more betting opportunities. It's more big games. College football has a big game problem. We never get enough big games because the Southern teams won't travel on the road. Big 12 te- and Pac-12 teams don't want to go to the South. And all I do is read all these guys complaining. I look at the 12-team playoff and I'm like, college football's always been imperfect. You know, pro sports tries to keep it balanced by if you're good, you get bad draft picks. Right? Right. Like college sports is the opposite. The more dynamic you are, the better recruits you get. It's really totally unfair. The budgets are unfair. The geography is unfair. There's more good high school football players in the South. I love the idea. Do do you believe it will surpass March Madness as the second biggest betting event in sports after the Super Bowl?
4: I don't think so. Uh, I like the premise of what you're saying. I love that you used Yiddish to describe yeah. how re- reporters were responding. They were conjecture. Yeah. It's great, great use of the word. Uh, I think that all of a sudden, January, which was already a big betting event as a month, because you've got NFL playoffs, you've got a little college basketball, you've got some NBA, and you've got the college football playoff, at least the title game, if not always the play-in games. Now you're going to have multiple playoff games for the NFL, playoff games and playing game for college football. January itself starts to shape up as a massive, massive betting opportunity. I was out with some of those media folks in the city last night. The first thing anyone mentioned to me was college football playoff, January, NFL playoffs, January. The betting opportunities have exploded for that month. Do you... When it comes to college football,
0: and we can talk gambling or ratings, it's about a quarter as popular in television as the NFL. It'll get a five rating for an NFL game that would get us an 18 or a 19. It's about one quarter as popular. I would imagine from a gambling perspective, it's not even close to the NFL, or
4: is it? It's closer than you think uh, because the volume of games. And because you just made a really good point, teams in the South won't travel. There's a lot, there's, a, it's hard to find sort of balance in the way that college football manages parity, but the people who do bet, it is very regionalized and it is very, very passionate. We at Action Network and a lot of the sports book operators, you know, our partners from volume at FanDuel, they can't wait for Louisiana to go online as a betting state this fall. Betting in the South is massive. And so you're getting that opportunity. You're getting betting in the West, in, in LA, people who love Arizona, right? Arizona football, Arizona state football. They will be legal in Arizona this fall. So it is very regionalized and the, the markets in those regions can be incredibly, incredibly active. Yeah, so I, I'm excited for it. I do laugh
0: at <laughs> the idea I got a lot of this yesterday because I said the SEC is going to continue dominating. They have the most great high school football players in their geographic footprint. And people said, no, now the exposure will be so good for everybody. To that, I said, when you have the shark tank, exposure is only good if your product's good. If you bring out a crappy product and they poke holes in it, you look like a schmuck. So uh, American Idol was great. Unless you sang like William hung and then you were a joke <laughs> like exposure only matters when you're ready for the stage. So if Alabama rolls you 48 to three, that doesn't do you any good in recruiting. When I moved, when I went to ESPN, my first year, Chad, I'll never forget this. They did a promo about college football. And they said, the Florida Gators from Tallahassee take on the Seminoles from Gainesville. Why? Because nobody in the building knew college football. They only televised about 75 games a year. By the time I left ESPN, they televised 500. What does that mean? It means everybody's had exposure for 10 years, and it's still the big dogs dominating. It's not like they're getting less exposure. The truth is, if you put Two beautiful people both get exposure. The more beautiful still curries the most favor. So Ohio State and Wisconsin, they both get exposure. All the great players still want to go to Ohio State. Kids aren't stupid. They see who goes in the first round of the NFL draft. I don't think it changes any dynamic, any power dynamic from the haves and haves-nots, do you? Not,
4: not a chance. But it, it is an SEC and now a little bit ACC-dominated sport. That's not going to change. That is that is endemic to the region. That is endemic to the quality of the players in those states. It is how they emphasize. And it's what's important. And a lot of it, I also think, is about weather, right? You know, it's it's becoming easier to play football year round in states where it is warmer. They change the offenses. There are more athletes gravitating to those sports in those regions. Then there are in the Northeast, which has never been a college football power. Than there are in the Midwest where it's still only Ohio State, maybe Penn State every once in a while, but they've got to be recruiting. You see Indiana even this year jumped into the conversation around college football. It is a terrible football school. I went there. I love it to death. The only reason it's getting better is because they're recruiting the sort of second and third tier players from Florida who aren't getting to the bigger schools. <laughs> That's and so right. it's like, and if all you're going to be doing to get better is recruiting the second and third tier players from the Florida schools, the Georgia schools, then you're never going to be as good as the first tier players who are going. Because look at this, think about this, Colin. For years, for years, there would be these studies about the, the number of draft picks who were five-star recruits, right? And for years it was, well, this guy wasn't a five-star, this guy wasn't a five-star because Alabama is so dominant, because LSU is so dominant, the trend is changing. And all of a sudden, the five-star recruits are also the number one draft picks because they are getting so much better in college. And it's it's very concentrated. It's a fascinating way to look at it. Um, but I don't see the the expansion getting better for Arizona or Indiana. Yeah. I mean, listen, Wisconsin's on TV seven times a year. Now
0: it'll be eight. It doesn't matter. They. Kids don't want to play in freezing weather in it's October, be November, December.
4: Below in in the middle of October.
0: Yeah, it, it's listen they're part of the expansion of the south and you can go back to the 50s, 60s whenever they invented air conditioning is that factory workers <laughs> until air conditioning Arizona wasn't very big. You know, air conditioning is why people could go live in the south or in Arizona, right? Well, it's the same premise like people would rather live in warm weather, play in warm weather, vacation in warm weather. So if you look when I was growing up as a kid, the college football powers were cold weather, Penn State, cold weather, Michigan, cold weather, Notre Dame, cold weather, Washington, cold weather, Nebraska, cold weather, Michigan. Those were the powers. And then there was like Alabama, Oklahoma. What happened? Then everybody gets their games on TV. And the kids in warm weather schools go, we don't have to go to cold weather. The only cold weather college football power that remains top five is Ohio State. That's it. Why? Because when given the choice, Americans choose warm weather. Even cold weather people, when they get old and aren't tied
4: to a job in cold weather, move to warm weather. One of the people that works with me at the Action Network, his name is Chris Rabon. He's one of our lead NFL analysts. He's, he was born and raised in New York City. He went to Syracuse. After Syracuse, he went back to New York City. His girlfriend got a job in LA. He just moved to LA last week. I said, how's it going so far? He goes, it's amazing. I go, you will never move back to the East Coast again. And he is as hardcore New York as it gets he will never, ever move back to the East Coast again. You are never you are never a, a sort of died in the wool East Coaster. I mean, you were coming from the state of Washington. You sort of gradually moved your way East as your career got bigger, and then we're living in Bristol. You're in LA. It, the chances of you, no matter what you do with the rest of your life, the chances of you leaving LA are zero. Nobody leaves the West Coast when they go to the West Coast. It's well, impossible. I always said this
0: if you can make money out west there's no reason to leave if you make money out east half the people would still choose the west cuz yes. the quality of life the way when i hear about all these tax gypsies if you want to go live in seattle and be under gray skies 10 months a year i grew up there go for it if you want to live in new hampshire or wyoming go for it i don't i'm not i i got nothing against texas but dallas bores the, me to tears and it's a furnace in the summer I, the, the reality with college football fans, to circle back, is whereas in the NFL, the team chooses you, in college football, the player chooses the team. And there if, if every college football program in America had their best coach ever, Joe Paterno still wouldn't beat Nick Saban right now. It, uh, Florida with Urban Meyer would still beat Michigan and Bo Schembechler. The truth is, I love the Washington Huskies. But when USC had Pete Carroll, (laughs) it would beat the Washington Huskies. When warm weather powers get the right
4: coach, they win. To my point earlier, I can't believe you didn't say Nick Saban would still beat Lee Corso at Indiana. Because that's really (laughs) the matchup I was thinking about. But you're 100% right. And to your earlier point, when you started talking about People think that more teams in the playoff will increase exposure for college football teams and then give the opportunity to places like Wisconsin or let's say it's uh, Washington on a more consistent basis or Oregon outside of the Chip Kelly era. Um, give them more of an opportunity because more students will get to see them and go play there. It's, recruiting is, is not even about exposure. It's about the coaches. You know, Dabo Sweeney goes into a house he wins. Nick Saban goes into a house, he line dances, he wins. That's it. And like, it is harder and harder to compete with the legacy of those guys, the legacy of those programs, especially when you are in good weather. That is like, it is something you cannot win against. That
1: wraps
0: it up for the week. We're heading into another big week here at The Volume. Make sure to subscribe and follow us at The Volume Sports on Twitter and Instagram. The Volume.
3: It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff.